athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You've got us here on From the Press Box to Press Row here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. I am your host, Donald Ware. If you hadn't heard Hank Aaron, the legendary Hank Aaron, not only a great baseball player, but a humanitarian um, from all accounts, an excellent, just a great person, had to deal with a number of different things as he came through the major league ranks, obviously in the 50s, uh, 60s, broke Babe Ruth's home run record in 1974, the all-time leader. Well, he was, and I still consider him, like I still consider him the all-time leader in home runs. I get it. When you look at the record books and what the record books say, I get it. Barry Bonds is there. I consider Hank Aaron the all-time leader in terms of home runs, has passed away, passed away earlier today at the age of 86. We lost Tommy Lasorda a couple of weeks ago, and now Hank Aaron. And when you think about Hank Aaron, he received in 2002 the Presidential Medal of Freedom. We think about the home runs. I mean, from all accounts, was just a great, great man. Had to endure a lot of racism, obviously coming through uh, baseball. At the time he came through baseball, he initially began his baseball career in the Negro Leagues and went on to be a phenomenal player in Major League Baseball. Think about this. You look at all of the numbers and all of the accolades. He was a 25-time All-Star. Think about that. Think about that for a moment. Made the All-Star game, was voted to the All-Star game 25 times. That is absolutely remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. He's won World Series, a World Series championship, National League MVP. He was a gold glove a winner. See, we think about Hank Aaron and we think about the home runs. But what we don't think about are the three gold gloves that he won. The other thing we don't think about is that he won a couple of batting titles, a couple of batting titles, right? We we uh, you would assume if you hit as you know as many home runs as he hit 755, you would assume that he had won a couple uh, was a home run leader a couple of times and he did that four times. But you know the other thing I mean in addition to being the all time leader in terms of uh, runs batted in career total bases uh, extra base base hits. He had a 555 career slugging percentage. But you know the other thing about Hank Aaron, when we when, when you think about someone that hits for power, 
and is a home run hitter, and you mentioned the RBIs. I mean, you don't just get RBIs off of home runs. There's other ways to get, you know, you you have to get hits, right? You have sometimes it's a feast or famine situation. You have guys that can hit home runs but bat like, you know, 250 but are great home run hitters. They can't really hit the ball consistently. Hank Aaron was a 305 a lifetime career batter. Batted 305 for his career. As a matter of fact, in many years, batted well above 300. Well above 300. So this guy could play the game. And I think a lot of times we talk about, and, and rightfully so, we talk about, okay, who's the greatest player of all time? We talk about all-around player. We talk about Willie Mays. Great glove, could do five tools, right? Can do it all. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, the Mickey Mantles of the way. I mean, we do talk about Hank Aaron, but I think what happens is we think more home run than we think the three gold gloves or we think the 305 average or we think the greatest runs batted in player of all time is Hank Aaron. And oh, by the way, he had to play uh, in a time when, uh, Major League Baseball was just starting to allow for black players to play in Major League Baseball. Again, began his career um, as uh, in the Negro leagues, leagues, as a matter of fact, with the Indianapolis Crowns. Actually began his career playing like semi-pro ball. Like, now I was reading where in high school, and when he was in high school, he didn't, there wasn't a team, or the high school didn't have a team. So he began playing semi-pro ball. And ultimately uh, got hooked on to the Indianapolis Clowns. And by the way, if you didn't know this, because I know we don't like. Listen, I'm a huge pro sports guy, huge pro sports guy, big baseball guy, uh, uh, big time, you know, National Football League guy, uh, you know, NBA, uh, NHL, I mean, boxing, all of it. Right. So we don't talk a lot of pro ball on this program. Okay, but I mean, you know, when you have a person that really transcended baseball, if you think about it, and again, I mean, I can't overemphasize it because now what Major League Baseball has also done uh, has allowed for Negro League statistics to be a part of Major League Baseball statistics, which I mean, I mean, that that to me was I mean, that that was a no brainer if you really think about it, because a lot of the players that are in the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, played uh, quite a few played in the Negro Leagues. I mean, most notably, you're looking at a guy like a Josh Gibson, right? Played his whole career in the Negro Leagues. Maybe, I mean, you talk about Hank Aaron. I mean, you know, you talk about Hank Aaron, you talk about Babe Ruth, you talk about guys like this. I mean, I mean, Josh Gibson may have been the greatest home run hitter ever, Right, never got his opportunity. You look at the Satchel Pages of the world. Now, Satchel Page had a small window to play and played Major League Baseball. As a matter of fact, what was it? He came in with the Indians. I think it was forty-eight. He was voted Rookie of the Year. He was, you know, I mean, he was you know forty years old, and he and he played some years with the Indians. But the bulk of his career was played in 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 the Negro leagues. So, you know, uh, listen. Hank Aaron had to endure some unspeakable, unspeakable things in his career. 
uh, letters. You know, people used to write letters once upon a time coming to him with the N-word and just unspeakable things. And this, and, 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 and I'm not even talking about as he was chasing Babe Ruth's home run record. I'm talking about when, just generally speaking, you know, you, you, when you become an elite player, like, you know, the Willie Mazes of the world, like when you're, when you were black back then. And I, I, I don't, I can't say it doesn't happen. Now, I mean, I think it's different now because now, you know, you, you get on Twitter and you can say what you want about people and all these, all the, the, the racial things that happen with black ball players. But it was a, obviously a much different time back then. Um, but all that he had to endure and ultimately still was able to do what he did in terms of the home run king. I was listening to a program when uh, the Braves ultimately came to Atlanta. Um, what was the, I have to, I'll look it up while, while I'm talking, but the Atlanta sort of had a model, something to the effect we're doing too much. Um, there's too much going on here to, to worry about race or something to that effect. And part of that was because of the greatness of Hank Aaron and him coming to Atlanta. In other words, a lot of, you know, a lot of you, you had, because he was playing there, you had a lot of, you know, all kinds of people that were coming out to see the Braves. And, you know, the Atlanta obviously is one of, one of our, you know, probably the preeminent uh, southern city and one of the, you know, obviously a big city now, like to the point that, you know, it, it's lost. I mean, I don't want to offend anybody in Atlanta, but but to some degree, I mean, when I go to Atlanta, like it's lost some of its southern charm. It's so big now down there in Atlanta. Atlanta's a great city. Don't get me wrong. But wow, everything that Hank Aaron had to endure throughout the course of his career. And again, phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, uh, person uh, by all accounts um, I'm just sorry that you know we didn't have a chance to have him as a guest on this program I mean would have loved to have talked uh, with Hank Aaron uh, you know just in, in myself growing up again as a huge baseball fan growing up in Baltimore huge Oriole fans but I used to collect and I mean I don't really collect cards anymore but I have a great collection of baseball football cards etc um, you know all of the greats and have uh, quite a few Hank Aaron cards, um, as a matter of fact. But Hank Aaron, wow, passing away. I mean, we're all going to go at some time, right? But and Hank Aaron lived a long life to the age of 86 years old. We're, we're all going to go at some point. But when someone like Hank Aaron goes, it just hits differently. So... Um, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with his family and just what a great, great person that Hank Aaron was and obviously a great baseball player. Listen, let me set the table for you because I'm going to get ready to take a break. But a couple of things I want to talk about, um, you know, the Houston Texans are the last team to still or that are in still need of a head coach and you know, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, still doesn't have a job. Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, still doesn't have a job. You've had six positions 
field to this point of coaches that were fired either during the season or at the end of the season. And none of those head coaches to this point are black. It's a huge problem. It's something that we have to continue to talk about. We've been talking about it for quite some time. We have to continue to uh, talk about it and to bring it to light. But with that being said, part of the problem also rests in college football and the lack of black and minority coaches at the FBS level in college football. So I want to hit that on the other side of the break. I also want to talk about the fact that North Carolina Central uh, is going to forego athletics in the spring. And so North Carolina Central, as well as the rest of the MEAC schools, less Bethune-Cookman and Florida A&M, who are still part of the MEAC. But once the athletic season begins for the 21-22 season, both of those schools will be part of the SWAC. Now North Carolina Central is not playing Football. So now you're down to six football playing schools. Right now, for the MEAC, you've got a championship game that you have scheduled for either April 15th, April 16th, whatever that Saturday is. You only now have two teams in the Southern Division, four teams in the Northern Division with a scheduled championship game to come in. Oh, by the way, just a, well, what was a four-game schedule, right? Because you're going to play each team in your division twice. So what do you do now? What ultimately happens? Do other teams, other programs decide to cancel? I mean, just the way I'm looking at a lot of the programs that are still playing, that are still there, I I think, you know, I think South Carolina State and A&T are still going to play in the north, I mean, in the south. Um, in the north, I mean, I, I would I would venture to say that Morgan, Norfolk, Dell State, and Howard are still going to play, but I don't know. Like, it, it could happen. And, and listen, North Carolina Central had to do what North Carolina Central had to do, what was in the best interest of North Carolina Central. And by the way, NCCU generally does what what is right, quote-unquote, uh, if you will. So did what it had to do. Um, hey, Kudos to North Carolina Central. The MEAC is in a further bond. Going to hit that a little bit later on in the program as well. We've got more of From the Press Box to Press Row. You got us locked in here. Sirius XM, ESPNU Radio. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at box to row and on Facebook at From the Press Box to Press Row. And don't forget to tell your friends to check out all of the latest from Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. You hear the headlines. You know health insurance is a real mess right now. Premiums have skyrocketed, and in most cases, you're stuck with your plan until open enrollment. But there's a government rule that allows you to qualify for lower health insurance rates if your life has changed. That means if you've changed jobs, if you're having a child, if you're getting married, if you're getting divorced, even if you run a small business or you're self-employed, this law may qualify you to get lower health insurance rates. Call the 
the health insurance hotline today. Learn how this 10-minute call can help you get lower health insurance rates. This is a free service to help consumers learn the laws to help them qualify for lower health insurance rates. So call right now to learn more. 800-605-1679. That's 800-605-1679. Paid for by Go Health. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. Delaware on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. What up, what up? Yo, 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 yo. Okay, okay, okay. Let's highlight the Box to Row National Players of the Week. The first player from Morgan State is Malik Miller. He's a junior from our nation's capital. As a matter of fact, he averaged 25 and a half points per game, 12 rebounds, three and a half assists, and two steals while shooting 66% from the field and four of six from beyond the arc in two games against Coppin State on last week where the Bears went one and one. And as a matter of fact, had a big-time game uh, against Coppin State where he had 30 points on 11 of 18 shooting, 12 rebounds, and four assists. That was in the loss to Coppin State. As I mentioned, Coppin and and Morgan splitting uh, two games last week, the rivals obviously in Baltimore. As a matter of fact, Miller is the only player in the MEAC in the top 10 in scoring where he's ninth, 13.6 points per game, rebounding, eight rebounds per game, he's second, free throw percentage, 78%, he's sixth, Field goal percentage, 55% where he's fifth, and steals at 1.9 steals per game. Malik uh, Malik Miller, one of the box-to-row national players of the week, again, a junior on the Morgan State men's basketball team. The other national player of the week, Atia Bridges from Texas Southern, had 22 points, 11 assists, 8 steals, grabbed 5 rebounds, as the Lady Tigers defeated Prairie View A&M last week, made nine of 17 shots from the field. And get this, assisted or scored 15 of the Lady Tigers' final 16 points, including on a assist on the go-ahead field goal with 229 remaining. As a matter of fact, the Lady Tigers, Texas Southern, had to come back in that game to win it. So Atia Bridges, the other Box to Row National Player of the Week. For all of our Box to Row National Players of the Week, you can log on. Going back years, uh, football, uh, All-American teams, etc. You can log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. So, again, where we sit in the National Football League in terms of the hiring of black coaches and minority coaches is 
it's it's putrid. It's absolutely awful. The National Football League, in all fairness, has tried to address it. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, they're, they're trying to address it, and I get it, but unfortunately, uh, when these things uh, happen and we go back to the, you know, the 40s and all of those kind of things when you didn't even have black players in the league, and I, you know, everybody wants to say, well, that was then, and we, we, we can't go back and change uh, history, but, you know, these are the type of things that happen when racism permeates and persists and this is where we are now to the point that what the first black coach in the in the modern day national football league was art shell and that what what was that late 80s uh right and so now we only have a handful of black coaches and uh, minority coaches uh, in the national football league the league has tried to address it with if you you know if you hire a, a a a minority candidate um, well, it's not that simple, but they've tried to address it. Okay, so let's, we'll put it like that. They've tried to address it. So we've had, you know, even if you go back to last year, there were, what, four job openings. Ron Rivera was the only hire by the Washington football team. This year, six job openings, and you had some very qualified candidates. I mean, even, uh, you know, even Jim Caldwell, uh, who was the former coach of Detroit, got a raw deal in Detroit, but again, he's up for a position. I mean, Leslie Frazier is a former coach. Todd Bowles uh, is a, is a former coach, and then Eric Bieniemy, who's been the hot coaching candidate the last couple of years. And listen, defense. When you have a defensive minded coach, especially in today's National Football League, like not as sexy, right? Not as hot, not as sexy as offensive minded coaches. Well, I don't think you get much more offensive minded than an Eric Bieniemy who played in the league, who had some success as a player in the league and now has tutored and mentored Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the National. I mean, that's arguable. I mean, right now, but I mean in terms of young quarterback, certainly the best young quarterback in the National Football League. I mean, the guy is absolutely phenomenal, helped to lead the Chiefs to the Super Bowl last week. I mean, his talent, I mean, not only I mean, his talent is just, I mean, it's off the charts. So here's a guy that was passed over last year and to this point has been passed over. I mean, listen, Houston, who knows what's going to happen in Houston? Houston is in such disarray. But for an Eric B. And I get it. Like, you can hire who you want to hire, and you shouldn't hire somebody just because they're black or just because they're this. I mean, I get all of that, and I'm, I'm actually on board um, with that. But when you have someone that has the resume of an Eric B. Enemy, that has the resume of a Todd Bowles now, because Todd it was his first time around in New York, you know, big time, and I'm not, I'm not making excuses, but in one season, <clears throat> ultimately the Jets did go 10-6, and six, did not make the playoffs. So it didn't go well for Todd Bowles the first time around. But look how many other coaches it didn't go well for. I mean, let I mean, I, I'll give you an example. I mean, I know he's since retired, but a North Turner. Like, it, it, it didn't go well. For, well, you know, North had some success in San Diego. Um, not so much in Washington. Maybe they may, may have made a playoff one year with him as the head coach, but he kept getting hired, right? So, and we see this a lot 
with white coaches. Even if they don't have success at one stop, they'll get another opportunity. Meanwhile, a black coach doesn't get as many opportunities and more specifically doesn't get the opportunities in the National Football League. Uh, For instance, Art Shell is a prime example. First black coach had success with the Raiders, had success, went to the playoffs, had a winning record. Took him 10 years to get another job in the National Football League. And who was that job with? The Raiders. And it didn't go that well the second time around. I think that, you know, it was just a different game, certainly. And and and, and Art Shell is from the old school. He's, he, he came on the show and talked about this back in maybe like 10 years ago and talked about how the game was different and it just, he should have never took the job is in essence what he said. So, Black coaches don't even get an opportunity the second time around. You know, uh, I, I just mentioned four coaches to you right there. Leslie Frazier, again, had some some success in Minnesota. Minnesota went to a made a playoff appearance with Leslie Frazier at the helm. And yet, as we stand. What a little bit before 730 in the East, 430 in the West. There, Houston doesn't have a coach. There are no black head coaches of the six job openings. Now, seven when you count Houston, who is still looking for a coach. None of those coaches that were hired were black. Further, it it it's bigger than in and again. I I mean you know the National Football League is is trying to do some things, but this goes it. It goes down to me. You have to take a step down, quote unquote, if you will, to FBS and the lack of black coaches in the FBS ranks. We've seen where in the last couple of years, you can look at Matt Rule, maybe a little bit more recently as a coach uh, that uh, had a lot of success at the FBS level and made the jump from an FBS coach, not a coordinator in the National Football League, not a you know, an assistant coach makes the jump from Baylor to the Carolina Panthers. Okay. Which is fine. I mean, and I think Matt rules going to do a good job. Like I look at the Panthers what they went four or five games. Like they were in most of the games. Like, I think they're going to, I think he's going to be fine. I think they're going to be fine. Okay. But again, you have a lot of coaches that have made the jump from FBS to the national football league. And yet in 2020 of, of the what 130 FBS jobs or however many FBS jobs, something along those lines. Yeah, it was 130 FBS FBS jobs. 14 of those coaches were black. 14, just 14 of those coaches were black. And of course, Derek Mason ultimately got fired with some games remaining um, at Vanderbilt. That is a shame because how are you able to get to be, if you're black, to be a coach in the National Football League. Because the thing is, even though it's college, you want to have been able to show to some degree that you know how to run a program. You know how to lead a program. And what better way to lead a program than as a head coach on the college level and more specifically on the FBS level and even more specifically on the Power Five level. 14 black coaches at the FBS level 
in 2020. And then we wonder why there, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's not the only reason that there's the problem in the national football league with the lack of black coaches, but it's one of the big reasons why there is the problem of the lack of black and minority coaches in the national football league. They were uh, coaches were few and far between at the FBS level. I mean, the first coach at the FBS level, the first black coach at the FBS level was the legendary Willie Jeffries, a graduate of South Carolina state, by the way. So not only a, black coach but an HBCU grad and by the way remains to this day the only HBCU grad to coach at the FBS level to this day that was 19 what 79 78 79 when he became the first coach to this day the only HBCU grad to be a head coach at the FBS level and then it started to trickle and trickle until we're at a point now okay where yeah, maybe we're at a at a decent point now, but it's still not good enough. And it's trickling up, if you will, to the National Football League where you have you had six job openings and none of the coaches that were hired were black. So as much as we can talk about the National Football League and need to talk about the National Football League, and the, we need to talk about how we make this happen. Really more, I mean, in college football as a whole. College football as a whole, there are only 20 when you look at and, and, and more and even more specifically college football division one as a whole FCS and FBS. There are only 21 FCS HBCUs. There are 21 FCS HBCUs. OK, but there are so many more non um, uh, or FCS program programs that are not uh, HBCUs. OK, but really. The fast track to the National Football League is from the FBS level. So we need to have some kind of implementation or some kind of plan in place to make sure that the best that, because there are really good coaches that are of color that are not getting the opportunities at the FBS level. I get it. It's different. College, I, I never compare college and pro. So to the point, one of the reasons in in professional it's professional sports in professional sports it's about the money it's it's a business uh, not that college athletics isn't a business but it's more of a business you know less input you don't have boosters and so forth that make decisions for you yeah you have you have you have a lot of business people mostly okay fans drive a lot of that as well college it's boosters it's alumni you know, it's all of those things that make it a lot different. And I get it. I get all of that. But we we got to there's got to be a way that we put something in place. This has to come from, the, I think, the NCAA standpoint to say we need to do a better job of making sure, just like the, the National Football League is trying to do that in college football, but more specifically FBS and even more specific in the Power Five. Because that's where the coaches are being hired from. If you're an FBS, if you're an NFL coach, you're coming from an FBS program. That there are more black coaches and coaches of color that get these opportunities in college football. I'm up against the break. Give me your thoughts on Twitter at Box to Row, B O X T O R O W, or 
on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two R-O-W, or my personal Twitter account, at where Donald, at where Donald. We'll be right back. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here. Right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Donald Ware. Donald Ware. Donald Ware. We're back here on the program and to put a stamp on the discussion in terms of of the lack of black coaches uh, in the National Football League and then even at the FBS level, uh, don't think, I mean, in talking with Rudy Hubbard, like one of the questions I should have asked him on last week, because remember, Rudy Hubbard was the first, uh, was the coach at Florida A&M when Florida A&M won the first ever 1AA championship in 1978. I, I mean, my question, sh- I should have asked him, and wasn't thinking about it, and we had, we had, had him for like 40 minutes uh, last week, Buzz, but what would have been, would he have liked to have coached at the the F, the F 1A level? You know, because, again, under Woody Hayes, uh, he was an assistant coach, had some success, I mean, very integral, if not the reason that Archie Griffin came to Ohio State, by the way, won two Heisman trophies, at Ohio State and then of course had the success that he had ultimately at Florida A&M would he have liked to have coached at the 1A level how about the likes of a Jake Gaither uh, or uh, the likes of an Eddie Robinson or a John Merritt uh, uh, of Tennessee State a lot of these coaches were great I mean that's just a handful of coaches you know what about a Cy McLaren rest in peace by the way to Cy McLaren the great coach and product of Bethune-Cookman, who passed away uh, back on December the 28th, uh, became the head coach. Remember, had a good NFL career and then became the head coach at Bethune-Cookman where he had some success. You don't think those guys would have wanted to be FBS, uh, would have wanted to be, uh, I guess, in, in during that time, 1A coaches? I mean, that's part of the reason why Florida A&M tried to make its move to 1A back in uh, the 2003-2004, which obviously that didn't uh, did not work out for Florida A&M uh, at all. But what about all of those opportunities? I mean, generally you don't go from FCS to big time FBS program or 1A unless you're and let, let's not pretend it hasn't happened before unless you're a Jim Trestle who was and I remember this was the head coach and athletics director at Youngstown State, made the leap from Youngstown State to Ohio State. Now, of course, he had success. I'm not knocking that. But, I mean, if if Jim Trestle were black, would he have gotten that opportunity? That's the question that we must ask ourselves. And so, again, just to kind of put a bow on it, look at all the great coaches that have come along. I mean, even more recently, how about um, uh, Joe Taylor, a uh, great coach. As a matter of fact, Joe Taylor at one time was the president of, of the uh, um, the AFCA, the Football Coaches Asso- American Football Coaches Association, the head coach for a number all those years at Hampton, even when Hampton was in the CIAA, then ultimately moved to the MIAC, was successful all the way through, and then even had some success in his latter years as the head football coach at Florida A&M, helping to lead the Rattlers to uh, a share of the MIAC title. I believe that was in 2008, may have been 2009. So I mean. 
so many different names that just didn't have its opportunity. And now we there we must there must be something put there has to be something put in place so that black coaches, minority coaches have an opportunity to also coach at the FBS level because again, the FBS level is also a pipeline to the National Football League. Let me switch gears. So I want to talk about North Carolina Central. And as I talked about in the open, North Carolina Central has decided to not participate in athletics for the spring for the safety of its student athletes, as it was mentioned, uh, in essence, in a press release that the school came out with uh, on Thursday. And, I mean, I, hey, kudos to North Carolina Central. Like, I'm not, you know, I, I, I've gotten used to, and I've called some games. Like, I've called games, right? Be as safe as possible. I call some games. And, um, but, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've gotten used to uh, the the competition and, and, and particularly college and student athletes playing. But I never really was for specifically student athletes um, playing in this pandemic. Although I think what we're seeing uh, as we see a lot of, just a lot of deaths. I mean, we've seen a lot of deaths. Over 400,000 Americans have died from the coronavirus. I think what we're seeing is uh, if you have some kind of uh, pre-existing condition or some kind of health concern, it, 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 you know, it amplifies uh, the situation, if you will, with coronavirus. I mean, I haven't heard of any athletes to this point really passing away uh, from it. Still doesn't lessen the fact that you, we, we have student athletes that are playing amidst a pandemic. So North Carolina Central said, hey, we're going to shut it down and we'll we'll see what happens uh, come fall of 2021. But again, the question now remains, what happens to the MEAC. I mean, the MEAC went from being, I tell you what, I mean, you look, I mean, to me, the MEAC with, with what A&T has done, the, the, the ascent of Florida A&M, the steadiness of Bethune-Cookman and South Carolina State, uh, you know, Norfolk State, North Carolina Central right there as well. Really some great competition in terms of football at the FCS level. So you go from that, okay, uh, at the end of the 2019 season, right? And you're the MEAC, and A&T has just won its third straight celebration bowl, been crowned black college national champs. I mean, you're everything's cool as far as you're concerned. Yeah, you took a hit, a little bit of a hit by losing Hampton, and you took a little bit of a hit by losing Savannah State, but top to bottom, football, you're you're straight. You're not you're not concerned. Two in 2020, A&T saying, eh, it's been it's been nice, but we're out. We're gonna move to the Big South, to Florida A&M in I think it was May, saying, eh, it's been nice, but we're more aligned with the swag, and they are okay in in traditional rivalries and going back to the days of the SIAC and all of that and. You know, you talk about teams in the MEAC. I mean, the best supported teams in the MEAC are Florida A&M and, and uh, 
and North Carolina A&T, okay? In Norfolk State to some degree, Central to some degree, but not like A&T and Florida A&M. So now when you have that rivalry against Jackson State and, you know, um, Bragg Memorial Stadium only holds 25,000, so if Jackson State comes to FAMU, you're going to be jam-packed anyway. But now when FAMU goes to Jackson State, Veterans Memorial Stadium holds 50,000 or maybe even 60,000. So now you got a jam-packed stadium at 50 or 60,000. Right. So good. You know, fam, good move by fam. You you knew Bethune Cookman was going to follow what a couple of weeks later. Bethune Cookman said, hey, it's been nice. Miak deuces. We're gone. We're, we're, we're following uh, Florida A&M to the swag. And now North Carolina Central says, eh, you know, we're not playing. We're not going to participate in athletics. And that more specifically means football. Now, basketball still going to go on. But football, uh, North Carolina Central said that we're going to sit this one out for the spring. So, again, if you're the MEAC, what do you do now? Okay, because once the 2021 season gets going, you only have six football playing institutions. At least, at least you felt like, okay, we've got, you know, we've got what nine schools. I think nine schools. We got nine schools. For the 20 season, we're good. Then the pandemic hits. You were going to have a MEAC championship game, uh, even in the midst of all of that. And FAM says, we're not going to participate in the spring. Bethune says, we're not going to participate in the spring. And now North Carolina Central says, we're not going to participate in the spring. What do you do if you're the MEAC? It's a tough situation. Uh, again, now in the South, all you have is North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central in the North. You have Dell State, Howard, uh, Norfolk State, and Morgan State. Uh, I think if you want to even talk about being able to play this championship game, I think I think you have to move. I think Norfolk State. You know, if if, if it were me, I don't think I don't think this have to happen. If if I was you know if I was in charge, I would seriously consider having Norfolk State be a member of the South. For this season, reason being, first of all, you're uneven. You you were already uneven. Now you're more uneven in the between the north and the south. Four teams in the north, two in the south. Norfolk State is sort of that middle school, right? It's far enough away from an A and T. I think it's maybe what three and a half hours, four hours, maybe from Greensboro, and then from Durham. Uh, I mean, it's maybe three hours, maybe less than that, um, but. You know, when you're talking about Norfolk State to Howard, that's three hours to Baltimore. It's, you know, maybe four hours to Dell State. It's, you know, like six hours, five and a half hours, something like that. Um, And so that may be what you have to do if you still want to keep the divisional situation and still have, because I think you could still have it. Like you can still have it. It's a shortened season anyway. Each school is only playing four conference games. And I think you can still pick up you may be able to pick up some non-conference games. I think that could still happen. I, I I haven't seen where any school is picking up any non-conference games per se, but that could still be a possibility. And really, I think the way that the schedule lays out is you play every other week to account for the possibility of having to postpone a game. But I'm going to tell you what, the MEAC is it's just not looking good. It continue. It just it just it goes from bad to worse for the MEAC. And the MEAC's going to have to figure something out 
very soon. Maybe not for the 21 season because you'll still have six schools that play football. And from all indications, we're still going to have the Celebration Bowl. And I mean, your, your competition levels maybe may not be as great now against the SWAC. But, I mean, you got some cushion there. I mean, out of the five Celebration Bowls that have been played, Four of the Celebration Bowls uh, have been won by MEAC schools, and actually more specifically, uh, A&T. So, you, you know, you've got a little bit of cushion there, um, but the, the MEAC's going to have to figure something out soon. Your thoughts on Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. We've got more of From the Press Box to Press Row on the other side right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Find the Box to Row YouTube page for conversations with stars like Amari Hardware, Landry, Michael Strahan, and with some of our favorite sports guests over the years. This is a national health care alert from the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one has diabetes, listen closely. Now, regardless of your age, if you have insurance, you may qualify to receive diabetic testing supplies with little to no out-of-pocket cost. Get free delivery, free information, and all the paperwork is handled by our accredited suppliers for free. Call the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline now for details. Toll free at this number. But wait, there's more. If you call right now, you could get a meter upgrade. In addition, we'll give you a free pair of diabetic socks as our special gift to you. Regardless of your age, if you suffer with diabetes and have insurance, you may qualify to get free delivery of your supplies. 800-443-4996. 800-443-4996. 800-443-4996. That's 800-443-4996. Doesn't matter what your sport, he talks your language. It's Donald Ware. From the press box to press row, it's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. A lot of sports happening this weekend. As a matter of fact, you've got the big... Like, I'm not a huge UFC fan at all, but you've got the McGregor and Poirier fight. I mean, it should be interesting from everything that I'm hearing. I mean, they they talk about McGregor being sort of the biggest draw still in the sports after sport after, you know, everything that has happened to him. And, and that's true. Like, I'm not a UFC fan at all, but when... You know, as as this fight continues to get hyped, I'm like, well, maybe I maybe I should watch, maybe I should purchase. What is it on pay per view? I don't know. It's ESPN Plus, I, I guess. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking maybe I <laughs> maybe I need to watch. Uh, but a lot going on, obviously. I mean, you've got some the the NBA slate. As a matter of fact, tonight uh, is hot and heavy. Uh, and then you have the National Football League, and you have the playoffs, the conference championship games. Um, that are taking place. I've got some predictions with respect uh, to those. Let, let's start with that NFC game between Tampa Bay and Green Bay. The, the game is going to be played in Green Bay. And yes, when the two teams met earlier in the season, Tampa Bay rolled Green Bay. But a lot has happened since then. I mean, Green Bay has played some unbelievable some unbelievable football down the stretch. No question about it, Tampa Bay has been good, uh, particularly 
uh, towards the latter part uh, of the season. I look at uh, what Tampa Bay was able to do last week, a couple of weeks ago, also against the Washington football team. And, I mean, it, it, there's no denying. I mean, the Rams were a solid team. Yeah, a little bit banged up, no question about it. But a good football. I mean, that and that game came down like the Rams had cut it. They, remember, they went for the two-point conversion down nine, got the two-point conversion, and cut it to seven. It was like 25 to 18, when generally you probably would kick the extra point uh, to make it an eight-point game and then go for two if you happen to tie it up or if, if it's necessary uh, after you know after a time to go for two. But anyway, it just shows the confidence um, that the Rams have in its offense because it was a trick play that got them the two points. But in any event, the Rams, solid, solid football team. And Tampa Bay was able to handle its business. That defense, um, when you talk about Tampa Bay, is really, really good. Like, has really been able to stop the run, and they've got a pretty good pass rush. The thing about Green Bay, like, Green Bay's got it all on offense. Like, Aaron Rodgers is absolutely tremendous. He's got a primetime receiver in Devontae Adams. They've got a really good running game. They've got a good offensive line. The other thing is, is that Green Bay also has a solid defense. Listen, I think this is going to be a very, very, a close football game. Um, I think it, it's going to come. I think it's going to come down to um, gr that Green Bay defense making a stop against Tom Brady as he tries to drive down the field. And um, I, I think it's going to be like a four-point game. I, I, I think Green Bay is going to win by four, and, and they're going to have a couple of fans in the stands. And Aaron Rodgers mentioned it last week, like. The little bit of fans that we had had in the stands meant the world, and I think Green Bay, the Packers, to some degree, is going to feed off of that. But I think it's going to be like a, I think it's going to be like a twenty-eight to twenty-four game, something like that, with ultimately Green Bay winning that game in the AFC Championship matchup. Looks like Patrick Mahomes is going to play, and I mean, even if he didn't like, I think. You talk about Henny coming in, but look at all the weapons. I mean, there's a lot of weapons that Henny would have had at his disposal, including in the running game, and it's a solid uh, Kansas City defense. Like, I mean, I don't, I, you know, like from an offensive perspective, what more can you say about the Chiefs? But this is the thing. Buffalo has got a really good defense. And, I mean, when you look at the play of Josh Allen, he's able to get the ball to Stephon Diggs. It's a solid running game um, as well for Buffalo. And, I mean, Buffalo, I mean, what Buffalo was able to do to the Ravens. Like, I get it, a couple of missed field goals because of the weather, mostly, by the Ravens. But to hold the Ravens to three points, I mean, I thought, I, I had the Ravens actually going to the Super Bowl before the playoffs started. Obviously, I was wrong. But, I mean, what Buffalo was able to do in terms of also being able to contain Lamar Jackson, I think, was, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, they got, meaning the Bills, got the job done. And I'm going to tell you what, game is in Kansas City. I get it. But I'm going to go with a bit of an, an upset, okay? And this, I, I you know, I think most people have Kansas City to win, especially with Mahomes playing. But I'm going to go with an upset, in this football game. And I'm going to go with Buffalo. I think Buffalo 
uh, has, I mean, in the other thing that Buffalo has that you need are veteran guys, guys like Josh Norman. Josh Norman's been to the Super Bowl before with the Panthers. I mean, I realize he's not playing maybe at an elite level, but he's still a solid corner, and he's a guy that can help to lead this young team and uh, and lead these younger guys. And so for me, uh, I'm going to go with the upset in this football game, and I am going to go with the Buffalo Bills. Your thoughts, hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W as well. I'm looking forward to some of the matchups uh, tonight in the NBA. Uh, I, I'm going to be watching. Uh, that, as a matter of fact, Kevin Durant's going to sit out of that Brooklyn game. Look, boy, Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland, uh, you know, Cleveland, Cleveland, you know, playing some decent basketball, you know, Sexton more specifically, uh, all things considered. But you've got that Denver and Phoenix game that's going to be on ESPN uh, tonight. And I'm going to take I'm going to take a peek like Phoenix is is decent. Right. Denver is one of the more upper echelon teams in the West. And so those are a couple of the games that I'm going to be taking a look at. Uh, tonight, but more specifically that Denver and Phoenix matchup. Got to get ready to run here on from, and by the way, Philly and Boston precedes that. Philly and Boston, that's the game. Like that, you know, that I mean, could, well, could be, yeah, well, I, I would have said before uh, the trade uh, uh, Harden going to Brooklyn, I would have said maybe that's an Eastern Conference Finals matchup. I don't think so, but boy, I like, I really, really like the way that the 76ers are playing. Got to get ready to run here on From the Press Box to Press Row. As a reminder, the HBCU Football Daily Podcast comes back beginning on Monday. We're going to preview North Carolina A&T on Monday, Tennessee State on Tuesday, and go uh, from now until the Friday, the 19th, will be our last preview uh, to preview the schools that are going to be playing. And then ultimately, the HBCU Football Daily Podcast is going to continue after the season opens up on December the 20th. You can catch the HBCU Football Daily Podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as iHeartMedia. And, of course, you can listen and download at BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support Yo, from the press box to press row is presented by DW Communications.